0: Welcome to the Geekstrom Podcast, uh, the podcast that is going to take all of your top 10 Tarantino movies and put that those lists in a list of the top 10, top 10 lists of Tarantino movies. I'm Frankie, I'll be your host today, and returning um, from his walkabout slash fugue state uh, is Jared. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and kind of Tarantino overall, um, so just to get right into it, what did you think about the movie, Jared? Um,
1: I liked it, it's the first Tarantino movie I've liked since, uh, I think *Inglorious Bastards, which I really liked, I actually think that one should have won the Oscar, I'm not going to look and see what it didn't win over, but um, it deserved it, um, I thought that uh, his movies since uh, losing his editor Sally Menke have been um, shitty, not only because of the editing, <laughs> But uh, Django just felt off, uh, felt like he was trying to kind of just capitalize on, like, how much people liked uh, shooting Nazis. And he's like, well, who's, like, you know, morally equivalent <laughs> in America's, you know, historical uh, imagination? Um, so he did the same thing with Slave Owners. Uh, but I, I don't think it really uh, worked for a lot of reasons, and I wouldn't mind getting into that. Um, and then I thought Hateful Eight was just a mess uh it felt like someone trying to make a tarantino movie um (laughs) but i was really i I thought what worked what i liked about once upon a time in hollywood is it didn't feel like he was trying to make a tarantino movie it it, to some degree it it felt to me like it had a similar vibe to jackie brown where it it didn't seem to deal as heavily in tarantino's like well-worn tropes um right not very similar to that movie otherwise but just that felt like he was just trying to make a good movie. He seemed like he really was comfortable with just kind of the, the, the fun of movie making. Um, And so I, I don't know if we're putting these in uh, order uh, with his other movies, but um, I did enjoy it. Uh, And uh, I, I, it was give me that special, you know, kind of unspeakable (laughs) movie quality of like, after you see it, it kind of sticks in your head and you just got a good feeling thinking about it.
0: Right. Uh, that's there's plenty plenty to unpack there, so thank you for <laughs> laying that out so so evenly. Um, I'm not necessarily coming in to like play counterpoint or devil's advocate or anything like that, uh, because it's not that I didn't like this movie. I'm just I don't actually know how I feel about it, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some possible reasons, and I would like for you to dissect them
1: okay Um, these are these are uh holdout reasons or like kind of you know not not great feeling reasons
0: right right because ultimately i i there's not i think it's an undeniably well made movie um which is the type of thing
1: can you place it like generally compared to how you feel about most tarantino movies just to get a oh yeah
0: i i think that it's definitely in the upper half for sure i think that putting it kind of contextually next to Jackie Brown is actually a really good point um, because those two of, like, the kind of over that he has um, kind of, I think, feel really similar. Um, And then, like, the rest of those kind of historical retellings, like the last four movies basically, um, feel like they're almost a completely different director. Like, he's come into a completely different point in his career. Uh, But the two that are sandwiched in between, you know, the hate, Hateful Eight and Django, which is weird that, for a man who's so obsessed and you know kind of influenced by westerns, when he actually does them, those are like his worst movies. <laughs> yeah, that's kind um, of interesting. Um, but I still, I still like like there's a spectacle to Hateful Eight that I appreciate, even though I think that you really notice his loss of uh, what's the late direct the editor's name again? Uh, Sally Menke. You like that cart scene, the wagon scene,
1: interminable. Yes, they just go on and on.
0: (laughs) I think that she would have come in and been like, "Quentin, I love you. I know what you're trying to do here, but we got to cut a lot of this. This is he actually uh,
1: he tells a story about working with her and about how apparently that's kind of what happened with the uh, Vincent and um, and Mia date scene in Pulp Fiction that he wanted it to be like. I don't know how long the scene is uh, in the final cut, but he wanted to be like two or three times that long because he wanted it to feel like a real date. Um, and she just, I mean, over the course of apparently like weeks, cut it down, cut it down, cut it down, cut it down, until the point where he was like, I can't lose any more of this and then pushed back. But um, yeah, you definitely feel her loss in that early card scene. It's like, God, so
0: much of this could go. Right. And I think that, Django, like particularly, and it's funny because uh, we'll get into this. Um, Django, Inglorious, and this movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, kind of have a penultimate scene that is super violence. Yeah. Um, Inglorious Bastards felt kind of almost cathartic in the sense of the entire movie being like this. Uh, this we really want to remind everyone that Nazis were fucking terrible and deserve to be destroyed, like, as viscerally as possible. Uh, and this, uh, and we'll get into it, like, as kind of a spoiler, I suppose, uh, movie kind of takes an interesting route with, like, a, you know, a reimagining of history, just kind of like, you know, <laughs> machine guns riddling Hitler's body. Yeah. Um, but the Django scene, and, I mean, if Tarantino's never been averse to <laughs> gore in any way clearly uh but there was just something over like beyond over the top about that last django sequence particularly that it's capped off by dressage which i'm not a huge fan of in general i kind of felt like actually when i think about inglorious passages the
1: only thing i remember about it that i really don't like is that shot of them machine gunning uh hitler because i think uh i mean some lines you just don't cross that's just in poor taste uh no, no, it's just it's such a it's such a cartoonish scene that I think it yeah, it kind of, I don't know, it almost like undercuts the uh I, I think that what he was going for was that, you know, this was a big transgressive moment since obviously history said that's not what happened. And so you right. spend the whole movie waiting for it to get busted up like you're watching, uh, you know, Valkyrie starring a, right. a perfectly cast Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, in,
0: his, in his fantastic German and German accent. <laughs> um,
1: but I do think that, um, you know, it, it made actually I, I love one thing I love about Inglorious Bastards just while we're on it is that um, I love movies that put a question in your brain and then answer it. I think most movies that question is like, how's the hero going to get out of this? Uh, hopefully it's not, uh, immediately obvious, but the question I feel like Inglourious Bastards puts in your, in your head with, uh, I think we talked about this, like with the character of Maximilian, who's got, you know, the son on the way and with the Mm -hmm. fairly, um, you know, honorable to some degree, uh, Nazi captain who gets his brains bashed in, um, neglecting to betray his battalion or whatever, um, I think it does, and just the extreme violence, kind of forces you to question, like, how much longer are we going to, uh, and especially the fact that they continually, um, they don't only refer to them as Nazis, they continually refer to them as Germans, which suggests that, like, all right, is it at some point not um, okay to use uh, Nazis, uh, you know, uh, as easy cinematic villains the way, you know, Spielberg obviously did? um and which you know so many people you know blues brothers and whatnot um (laughs) is that unfair to the german people at some point that this stain is is there forever and obviously the answer the movie gives in the uh head carvings is no right when you do this that's on you forever you never get to go home and as the movie suggests you know burn your uniform and pretend it wasn't you um so i really love it um and i think even though that that rubber mask hitler uh shoot him up (laughs) scene is kind of stupid um it's still much better than than Django.
0: I love Inglorious Bastards, and we've actually done a podcast on that before, uh, way back in the day. Um, but I think that last section, basically, you know, the whole Operation Kino uh, from <laughs> from the point that the Italian uh, cinema, like,
1: yeah, they're supposed to be the the, the film crew,
0: right? The film, perfect, yeah. From that scene with uh, the pronunciations yeah. of the names over and over again. It's, it's incredible Gorlami. Gorlami. Again? Yeah. Gorlami. Yeah. It just, from that point to essentially the end when they're carving the swastika into Landa's head as, like, very cartoonish. Like, the floating head, the Wizard of Oz kind of homage um the you know obviously shooting of the incredibly fake hitler yeah where they take the time to reload a magazine into the machine gun to continue <laughs> shooting him yeah. after he's very dead and uh, and that'll blow whole, up anyway right it's it's just you know it's an interesting way to end a movie that's supposed to be about you know the end of world war 2
1: well, it's, it's beautiful, too, because it's um, the first note that you are going off the rails and that your things are about to get kind of, you know, uh, I guess postmodern right. or whatnot is that they play a David Bowie track.
0: Yes, exactly. And
1: so it's like, all right, now
0: we're, what's going on? We're kind of, we're off now. We're off the time stream. Right. Um, and, you know, I think that ultimately this being kind of like an expression of rage in a way, it's it's interesting to kind of... Put that up against something like, uh, like uh, Saving Private Ryan, uh, for instance, with this being kind of a a view of espionage, but like you know, just both sides of the war, um, obviously with the lens that's showing one side to be the clear bad guys and so on, um, for it to be a little bit more enjoyable. And that's like I think a completely different topic to try and get into, which we won't do here. Uh, but just this idea that a movie you know, about one of the most violent and miserable times in history uh, kind of feels fun. And that kind of leads into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's kind of approach to this kind of fog that's heading like over the entire movie that, like, particularly if you have watched any of the trailers or you're kind of familiar with what the movie's supposed to be about, the idea is that at some point the Manson family murders... Are going to show up in this movie like they're very clear about the location they're very clear about the time frame they're very clear about Sher- uh, Sharon Tate being front and center even if she doesn't speak that much in yeah. this movie so you're like just like when you're watching Inglorious Bastards and you know what's supposed to happen at the end of this movie you just don't know and are surprised by the way that it does end there's this idea that There's a lot of stuff going on in this movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's characters. Uh, But ultimately, we know what's going to happen at the end. Except it doesn't. And uh, I guess from here on, I don't know if you're expecting this to be a spoiler-free podcast, but we will be getting into all of the spoilers, if there are any, in this movie. Um, So, you know, I guess we'll go chronologically out of order like Tarantino does and talk about the ending first. What did you think about the way that they decided to handle the ending of this movie.
1: Um, I think it was, I mean, again, you know, this is like you said, it's to some degree, the third time he's done this, you know, you've got the Nazis, um, obviously go ham against the Nazis. Everyone loves it. Um, You've got slave owners, you know, go nuts against them. It's almost like you wonder if he took some time wondering like who else in history do people hate enough that they would just cheer to see the kind of violence that I want to show in, you know, a way that they wouldn't feel morally, you know, conflicted with. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, given that uh, I enjoyed the, the, the ending, I mean, it was so, it was so comical um, to some degree, just how over the top it is, um, just how right. long he's willing to leave the camera rolling as a dog chews someone's testicles, essentially. <laughs> um, right. And especially, I mean, you know, it's interesting that I don't know, who was involved in the actual uh Sharon uh, of family murders but that it is two women who you know you don't want to see abused on camera as much as men um and he really doesn't hold back uh oh definitely not i did think that it reached a very uh similar um uh note i guess from the uh you know rubber face hitler getting machine gunned when he breaks out the uh flamethrower <laughs> to burn the woman. Um which I I thought was an odd choice since she's in a pool, so she could have just gone underwater. Um <laughs> It was kind of enjoyable, but at the same time I do feel like you know, one thing that you can't really pin on um the change of editor when when you look at something like Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards is if you just look by the numbers, um, Inglorious Bastards has I think at least three or four really uh, intense confrontation scenes that are like the thing that Tarantino does probably best. Um, obviously the early one with Hans Landa and the, uh, the dairy farmer um, again, Landa and, you know, um, Shoshana meeting with uh, Goebbels, um, you know, him meeting with, uh, I can't remember the, the German actress's name towards the end. Um. Just again and again. Obviously, the scene in the in the bar, you know, is just so intense, and it earns how much time they spend on it. Um, I felt like this movie. There's really only you know when when Bride Pitt goes to the uh the the campground that all the Manson family folks are hanging yeah. at, and it never really reaches too high a pitch. Range. Um. So I felt a little bit, even though the the ending was enjoyable to some degree, I felt somewhat robbed of what I think was reasonably expected to be an incredibly intense ending once the Manson family shows up. And then, um, I don't know about you, but I, I was left with a sense of uh, what's... Obviously, you know, it wouldn't be in great taste to show Sharon Tate being murdered. I don't think her family would like seeing that on a TV, but it was a very odd feeling to have a happy ending where, um, you know, Rick Dalton meets Sharon Tate during the exact time in reality where she would be getting killed, you know, and have her baby cut out of her and whatnot. So, um,
0: I wasn't sure how to feel about that. I don't know. How'd you feel about that? When we have, you know, Leo and Brad's characters basically camped out down the hill from them, uh, this whole idea that the movie is about them and Sharon is kind of this almost, uh, phantom figure drifting through it it was it was funny to me that there were points where leo like in the great escape um flashback uh retelling of history or whatever Mm -hmm. um they like photo um inserted him into like the spot uh that steve mcqueen was in yeah um so i assumed that when uh margot robbie was going to watch herself as sharon tate in the wrecking crew uh, that they were going to do the same thing, but they didn't. Oh yeah, uh, which was interesting to me. So there was almost like, like uh, some kind of meta commentary by Tarantino that, you know, not only is Margot Robbie like not exactly Sharon Tate, but she's existing as Sharon Tate in this like uh, alternate universe where all the things that happened to Tate would not happen to her. Um, which is part of what made it so interesting that you didn't interact with Leo's or Brad Pitt's characters until the, the exact end of the movie, uh, which kind of folded back on top of itself when the ending didn't happen, you know, like the way that it did in history. Uh, so that was an interesting approach. It did not keep me from thinking, wow, he really did that as soon as the the girl kind of goes on her rant about we should kill the people that we've seen killing on TV. Oh, yeah. Um, and then it was just like, okay, so they're not even going to make it up there. They're going to go after, what was, the, what was the name of the show again? Uh, Bounty, Bounty Justice. Law, I think. Bounty Law, Bounty yeah, there Law. you go. It's going to go after that guy. And then, of course, you know, Brad Pitt being in there. And there there was also some kind of very subtle, maybe not even that subtle, with the whole he killed his wife, he got away with it, and then the amount of violence he enacted on the women at the end of the movie, uh, Brad Pitt's character, uh, was kind of an interesting choice. Like it may, it's almost like he knew that at the end of this movie, he was gonna have Brad Pitt kick the shit out of two women, and so he wanted to make sure that there was like a you know like a preface for that. I, yeah, I wasn't sure what to make of that. That was kind of an odd detail to put in about the guy. Right. Um, like, I it made sense as, like, um, why... I guess, I mean, he could have chosen any other reason for other, you know, stunt actors and stuff to not like him, um, but for that to be the reason that he was kind of, you know, not actively working in the industry was, was an interesting choice, and it seemed like it was only there so that when he, you know, threw a can of dog food at a woman's face and broke it, and then smashed another woman's face into literally every surface in an entire house. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, and I was Just like, the, well, it, it was
1: put the shoved the surfaces through her face. Basically, by the end of it,
0: it just just wild. And you know that he let the dog uh, basically take care of the guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think he did uh, curb tets.
1: stomp him at the end though, or he. Uh, yeah, he, de- he he
0: definitely got. He he full <laughs> he on
1: drived him. him. Uh... Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Uh, but the I think the ending though has a weird feeling of almost as if you're watching. Um, remember when Scooby
0: Doo used to interact with real people from the <laughs> 60s and 70s? You know, <laughs> right? It was like a- uh, Mama Cass or something who who makes an appearance in this movie. <laughs> yeah, Mama Cass.
1: Yeah, and then uh, you know the glow Trotters or whatever. But I mean, it was like as if they did an episode in the 70s where they meet Sharon
0: Tate and she's fine. And right. It's like, mm, all right. Yeah. So I think that definitely had something to do with my inability to process this movie as like going oh this is the you know his best in a while um another another part that i think uh i've just kind of gathered from the conversation around it is that i might be too young to appreciate some of the references that are in this movie uh which i have a counter argument to and now, I like he, you to now tarantino's to not
1: he's not old enough to have experience the Sharon Tate murders
0: live, is he? Right, right. Is he, like, born but in the 60s? I think so. I mean, he's got to be, what, 53, 54 at this point?
1: Oh, I don't know. It, exactly. But he seems like he's in his 50s, so I, I can't imagine this is right. like, personal to him. This
0: wouldn't have happened, like, when he was a teenager or anything. Yeah. This wouldn't right, have been his 9-11. He... <laughs> right. But you know how he is about, you know at least Hollywood-adjacent history. Yeah. It wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if he's, like, a scholar of this, you know, in one way, shape, or form. Particularly, I feel that he would be the type of person to listen to every uh, Charles Manson true crime podcast that there is. Yeah, he probably Uh,
1: feels about the Sharon Tate murder the way I feel about uh, the Beach Boys not putting out Smile when they first made it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That, you see, that is a... To me, watching this movie... And not understanding something as other people not understanding that reference that you just made. <laughs> uh, so, but the thing is, is my counter argument to that, uh, because you know I always have to make everything about Marvel movies. Um, if the you being able to enjoy one of those comic book movies is based on your ability to understand every single Easter egg and reference that's made in the movie, then that means the movie has failed. Uh, so I don't want to think that because I don't know who the three Georges are that would have been ahead of uh, Leo's character if Steve McQueen didn't do The Great Escape. Um, Just because I don't know who all three of those people are off the top of my head, that can't be the reason that I don't like the movie, because if it is, then the movie was never going to be liked by me to begin with.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I definitely don't think I picked up almost anything. Uh, My wife pointed out, which I thought was cool, um, that one of the uh, Italian directors of one of his Italian flicks was the name of the mm-hmm. director from *Inglorious Bastards. Oh, yeah. Uh, I which didn't, made me wonder. I didn't get that in real like, time.
0: Is that guy real? That, that I, I, I wanted to check oh, that. Oh, I don't I think so. I think it was idiot, just had, like red apple yeah. cigarettes to him. Antonio you know? Margheriti. Yeah. Which I was I was hoping that one of the other uh, spaghetti western guys was going to be Dominic DiCoco, because I just like, <laughs> that's just great. That would have been so good. Um Oh, well, <laughs> just because it's kind of adjacent. What did you think about Brad Pitt's uh accent in this movie? Um, I thought
1: he was I mean, I thought one of the things that I liked so much about this movie is I just liked him and actually this might be my favorite Leo DiCaprio performance in a while. Um I agree. They were just really pleasant. I mean, Brad Pitt was almost too He was uh maybe what the what the kids on uh Discord would call a uh, Mary Sue. Um <laughs> You know, he he <laughs> right. murdered his wife, but he didn't seem too broken up about it. So it's kind of like just one of those checkbox right. negative traits that doesn't actually affect mm-hmm. the movie too much. Um, he can beat up Bruce Lee. He's like just an Which absolute was wild that scene. Great guy. was
0: Wild, by the way.
1: That was um, I I did it, I did I mean this the fact that he threw Bruce Lee was great. I I did find it hard to buy him going toe to toe for a bit yep. with him, and I did think it was. I don't know, I, you know, you, you get caught up into the politics of all this shit, but I know that, like, Bruce Lee's daughter or someone was like, hey, this is how uh, white Hollywood treated my dad when he was alive, so thanks, Quentin. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, I thought, I, I was very excited to see Bruce Lee at first, and then when they mm-hmm. kind of kept trashing on him, um, it's like, okay, yeah, maybe, you know, uh. Uh, Muhammad Ali would, you know, uh, kick his ass, but I mean, not this random stunt man.
0: (laughs) Right. I mean, and you make a good point. Like the throwing thing, I think made a lot of sense because that seems like the type of move that yeah yeah, stuntman could do. Yeah. Right. Um. And I know that they stopped the fight before it got too far. And I also like that. I can never. I think it's Zoe Bell. Yeah. I love that cameo. Yeah, I like that she was there. Have her. Um. And also the idea that she, uh, oh man, I'm doing really, I'm really bad with names right now. Who is that?
1: Uh, Kurt Russell.
0: Kurt Russell. Yeah. The fact that they would, that they would be married, it was. Uh, was yeah, that,
1: those are two, uh, two good cameos I enjoyed. Um, yeah. I just didn't like them going hand to hand. I was like, "There's no way."
0: Yeah. That didn't make any. That didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. But I, I guess maybe that's the type of thing where your idea is that if this fight would have actually gone on. Uh, bruce lee would have destroyed him but the thing is like the, cool sure but that's you didn't show that so
1: yeah and just the idea that someone um like bruce lee wouldn't have just you know just 10 ways to get him on his ass with right. that, you know that he could you know if he he took two tries to you know to learn his kick and counter it so you think he just pull something else out and obviously a, a film buff like tarantino would know that bruce lee was so fucking fast that they had to like Make advancements in camera <laughs> technology just to right. like accurately uh, photograph him, right?
0: And even something as simple as the idea of Bruce Lee doing the same kick twice, you know? Yeah, just wh- yeah. Because why would he? His opponent asked him. Just... Um,
1: I, I mean, I, I get the point of it was so that actually, I, I, I understand the point, but I think it actually undercuts the movie. You know, the idea is that going into the ending, you are now aware that essentially. Bruce Lee's equal is the one house-sitting um, while these, you know, uh, bumblefucks come into the house. But I do think that that... It reminds me of... A, you've you've seen Breaking Bad, right? Yes. So I remember one of the, the reviews of the finale of Breaking Bad was that, you know, even though it was really well done, it, it you know, as a finale of a series, great. But there wasn't that much tension in it because as soon... You know, the, only that small window when Walt doesn't have his keys are you worried what's going to happen. As soon as he gets his keys you know things are going to be fine. And I think for this movie, you know, those guys show up and it's like three dumbasses with knives. One of them has a gun, but it is a guy we just saw kick Bruce Lee's ass and he's got that fucking dog right there. Um, So you kind of already know the dog's going to jump the guy. You know, we've all Mm -hmm. seen Mad Max, right? Um, (laughs) And then who, you know, what exactly are these dipshit hippies uh, (laughs) going to do against this guy? So... Um, I don't think they necessarily had to make the Bruce Lee scene go that way,
0: right? I also think that, you know, I think it probably threw the you know acid dip cigarette in there to think that maybe he might be, you know, incapacitated enough yeah, to not be able. to That pull didn't seem to off. affect
1: much. No,
0: he was just funnier. Um,
1: uh, Brad Pitt has a great uh, a great agent though because he's really gotten a career out of being um, inexplicably great at hand to hand combat. <laughs> You right. know, for having no real yeah. like, you know, he's not like Jason Statham or someone who actually has right. training in this, but he kind of always plays that guy.
0: Yep, I mean, like you know, with him being the one punch pikey machine. Yeah, exactly. And you know, just kind of building, you know, a career of at least hotness off of that. It's just like, yep, we were I, we are led to believe that if we were to meet Brad Pitt in a dark alley, that there was no way we would be getting out alive, which you know is. Maybe not easy to believe, but if you just go from his movie resume, I mean, alone, us,
1: yeah. Be... I mean, after that shirtless scene, I was like, man, this guy could uh, <laughs> quit my ass any day of the week.
0: Yeah, I think that was another uh, thing where he's like, got a good agent. Where they're just like, listen, <laughs> we know that Brad's fifty-two, fifty-three, whatever, but he still got it. So let's make sure uh, we don't leave any doubt in the world. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. He still got it. And then for that to be the scene. Is that the scene where he... Wait, what does he remember? Is that where he remembers the...
1: The Bruce Lee. The yeah. fight scene? Yeah. Because yeah. So he's kind of, kind of remembering like, why he didn't get that job, I guess. Or why, right. you know, why he's kind of been blacklisted.
0: It also seems like that was something where Tarantino could kind of flex his um, referential knowledge. Because, you know, he... Leo, I think, kind of offhand when he gets dropped off says, Oh, the guy who's running the stunts for this, you know... Is the guy from the you know uh, Green Hornet incident or whatever? Oh yeah. Says something like that, uh, and it's just like Green Hornet. You mean like Bruce Lee? And it's just like oh, so that's how they get Bruce Lee in this movie. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, that uh, that was an interesting little tangent there that I wasn't expecting. But yeah, that was that was good. I mean, I was I w- I loved him holding court in front of all of the rest of the stunt guys because you know this would have been pre like bruce lee is the most famous person on earth bruce lee uh but i don't think that he was ever unsure of himself so this idea that he was you know talking a good game about his abilities was cool until he started like talking about kicking (laughs) muhammad ali's ass and it all just kind of went downhill from there yeah ending with him being thrown into a vehicle but you know cool it was still cool you know it's like it was just one of those things he's like hey it's bruce lee Yeah, bad haircut. I did think that just that whole... The way he
1: shot it, that he did... He was so willing to just kind of cut and move around. And, I mean, obviously just the part... The the fact that, um, you know, uh, uh, Polanski and Manson are basically absent from the movie. uh, Oh, yeah. Sharon Tate might as well have been also. um, Mm -hmm. For plot reasons, it it reminded me a bit of the way you had to watch um, the Twin Peaks, The Return... Where you know you could you drive yourself nuts if you're waiting for the payoff of a scene, and so you right. kind of just have to give yourself over to it. So I I did enjoy the fact that I I don't know I mean you're watching Leo DiCaprio's plot and you're like what does this have to do with Manson, right? What is anything that but it on in an, in and of itself it was uh, actually I think that was probably some of the best content in the movie was his um, oh yeah struggle
0: I think. Um it's interesting to I'm definitely one of those people that wants to not know as much about a movie as possible before I watch it because Oh I'll yeah, you to mentioned the gaps. trailer. I didn't
1: watch a trailer for this before I saw right. it. Right.
0: Um and what's good is I only watched that very first one where they just basically like were showing it was basically like name dropping, you know, like yeah. this person is this person, whatever, whatever. And it's just like cool, that's all I need. Um but just because it's like a historically adjacent film, you kind of have like this idea of what's supposed to happen. Yeah. Um. So when it was very clearly about DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's characters and their their life together, um, it took me a while to kind of realize that this is what the movie is about because I was expecting, you know, other things. Particularly, you see Polanski and Sharon really early. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, you are you get these beats and these, like, ideas in your head from when you've watched every other movie ever, and you're just like, oh, they're in the movie super early, so they're going to be in it always. It's going to be about them. And then not only does Polanski, like, basically, I think he's in, like, maybe four minutes total in the entire movie. Um, And I think Manson is in the movie for, like... 20 seconds, maybe. 30 seconds? yeah like maybe being generous and it's just this idea that there are these like kind of almost specters that are, that this movie is supposed to be about, at least that's what you think. And then nothing could be further from the truth. But then once I kind of got into Leo's story and how Brad Pitt factored into that, um, I was, I was like, yeah, this is really good. And like you said, this is some of DiCaprio's best acting in a while. And, it was interesting. I see a lot of people saying that he's playing against type, which I don't really jive with because I think that he's an actor. So he's done a lot of different <laughs> so things by By point. definition,
1: it's... No, but I think it was against type because, I mean, there's the... What's the question that they always say about, like, Tom Cruise? You know, Tom Cruise always plays a guy who knows exactly what to do. And the movie's about watching him be square-jawed and face the thing. And, I mean, DiCaprio... Um, even when he's playing, you know, uh, you know, a Wall Street uh, dipshit, or mm-hmm. um, you know, a a, a sanity uh, a slipping, you know, um, Howard Hughes, you know, he's always a very certain um actor, and so I it was something new I felt to watch him really struggle with, especially that scene when he fucks up on set and he uh, just chews himself oh, yeah. up over it. And you're kind of with him. Um, they, that they, you know, him, Tarantino. They all really uh, made that work because you do kind of notice him be shitty. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not super obvious, but once he forgets his lines, he does flub, and he's just like not good. Um, and so you are so happy for him once he gets his little uh, compliment from that cute little kid that seemed like she walked in from a Cohen's movie or something. <laughs>
0: right. Um, I guess just because he was playing an actor uh, was the part of the thing where it's just like, he's he's acting as an actor. And I know that he has, you know, like, anxiety issues and clearly, <laughs> clearly needs to see someone and probably go to AA. Um, <laughs> yeah. But ultimately, you know, like, but the thing is, is like him having the range there to be able, like, you know, seeing him in something like Shutter Island, this is the type of performance that I kind of feel is adjacent to that, where it's like, he has to appear a certain way, but there is something going on underneath. And that I think maybe like upon repeat viewings of this movie, I feel I'll get a lot more out of the performance from him, particularly since the next time I see it, I'll know what the movie is about. Yeah. And so I'll be like, I can just focus on his performance specifically. But even that scene where he was fucking up was like b- between the way Tarantino was shooting it, but he was shooting them shooting the movie – at the time, was like these layers of removal from Tarantino's actual character in the movie as the actor, seeing him fuck up and all that. That was like brilliant to me. I thought that that was one of the greatest sequences, and him nailing it later was also fantastic. Particularly because the little girl gave him the compliment, and it you know meant so much to him. Yeah. But the scene where he's acting opposite Oliphant... Uh, which is hilarious to put him in there as like the newer version of a cowboy, considering that he's played that so many times Yeah, against DiCaprio's like more or less first go at it, uh, was incredibly interesting. And I thought some of the best scenes in the movie.
1: Yeah, it was, and I mean, he just, uh, Olafon actually, he played that perfectly too, because I'm always interested when actors are playing actors acting. Right. Um, but I mean, he plays it in such a way that you can tell he's absolutely nailing his lines. He's not, you know, overacting, but he's just perfectly in there. And it really shows uh, DiCaprio stuttering um, and kind of, you know, wavering a, a lot better Um I did like that. I think that the obvious thing to do when someone, you know, when you you're shooting the scene being shot, is once he says, "What's my line?" to um, kind of give away, you know, pull back, show the production assistance, you know, like cut, you know, um, to so to keep it on was um interesting to see. It, it was fun because it it did also just as a viewer, it kind of breaks your concentration. So then you are more uh judgy of the way he gives right. the next line. So uh, I thought it was real done. Um, I, mean, I think generally it seemed like Tarantino was, uh, I don't know. Like I said, he he didn't seem like he was interested in just kind of giving people what they thought they wanted. He seemed like he was interested in doing filmmaking for its own sake and, and just kind of seeing what he could do without necessarily... Um, you know, playing two expectations or even playing that hard against them. He was just like, Well, let me just, you know, do the best uh job I could do. I, I know someone mentioned that just that uh when Tex rides in on the horse to go to go stop um Brad Pitt from beating up that one uh dipshit who knifed his tire. There's just a great um shot of a guy riding a horse. Right. Look, there is yeah.
0: There's a lot of shots in the spacing between uh dicaprio's house and uh tate's house like when they kind of you know i would assume that these are all done by drones and stuff now but (laughs) just the you you really get a feeling like i think a lot of particularly when you're gonna have an action sequence in a place later uh and i think the coen brothers do this really well like um no country for old men the uh hotel shoots shootout scene um as they're filming before the actual you know uh pressurized thing goes through and shoots the lock into into his leg and Josh Brolin's leg, you really kind of understand the dimensions of the building and you kind of know where he needs to go to get out and escape. Yeah. And even if he does do that, if he goes back in, what to expect and where to think Shigur is and everything like that. So I think when when you've got the ability to kind of map out a location just by shots where, you know, it's not someone literally going, here's where we go. Like, not, you know, planning a bank heist or something like oh, that. Yeah. I mean, literally just, like, you know, circling, going up and down, moving from, like, the roof of one house up a drive to, the like, the back porch of another house and stuff like that. Which they had a lot of shots like that at the ranch as well. And so, yeah, I totally know what you mean. That, that riding the horse shot was just, like, it's amazing to kind of get you geography just by like passively watching images come across the screen.
1: Yeah, it's funny because I'm, uh, you know, No Country almost shows you the importance of it earlier when sugar um, actually, he does it in the scene where he walks through a hotel room just to plan out how he's going to shoot it up. Uh, I think one of the best instances I've seen of that in a while um, was, oh man, I can't remember. Is it Fede Alvarez did uh, the, the Evil Dead remake? And uh-huh. they do, like, uh, extremely long takes in the cabin uh, in the first half of the movie. And that way you kind of have a sense of, like, all right, here's where everything is in the cabin. And now we're going to jump around and have fun, but you, you're you well acclimated. Um, yeah, I think that kind of thing is super important. I think it really helps you. Um, I mean, one thing I hate about a lot of um, kind of, I guess, middling, like, action movies is how much of them are... Um, Again, I think that's something we talked about. Kind of like video game pacing where it's like, oh, shit, we have to shoot the the laser. Oh, the, <laughs> the button's over there. And they kind of explain right. to you as it's happening because they haven't mm-hmm. done the work of making you understand what needs, you know, logically, what you would just know needs to happen.
0: It's not a lot of... It's one of those uh, show-don't-tell type situations. And it really seems like the best directors have that, like in spades. And a lot of times more action-focused movies tend to be, you know, a little less focused on that. Like, it's more about the characters themselves and, like, the splashiness of the scene, but not how the scene is put together or what the ultimate goal is. Yeah, I mean, try, um, try
1: to imagine what it would be like watching um, the the Death Star Trench run if they hadn't done that scene earlier which isn't Mm -hmm. a great fun scene but you know it's not super boring but where they explain here are all the things to worry about in this scene we're about to show you you know we didn't have to see that it's not a great scene um narratively but it's like oh now i can just enjoy this because i already know all the things that are about to happen or at least what i should be worried about
0: and you know they they add in you know like additional things to get around with the TIE Fighters coming in and all that stuff. Dude, I and think so I point, think we should
1: do that. We should uh, we should recut the Death Star Trench as an annoying modern movie where people are like, <laughs> yeah. alright, Luke, now you've got to shoot the thing into that, you know, and watch out right. for the TIE Fighters and make sure you go in fast, yeah.
0: Right, make sure to hit all of the towers before you go into the trench, otherwise you won't be able to get into the trench. Yeah, that, just that gi- give
1: him like a two-second warning on everything he's about to do. You're like, alright, now, you know, fire, fire, you know, Get on this guy. Get on th- I don't know. It's a uh, fucking irritating. I don't know why anyone does it because it's annoying in video games when you actually get to do the thing yourself.
0: Yep. Um. So we. I think we did a. We did a pretty good job, kind of singing. Uh. DiCaprio's praises. Um. I really think that Brad Pitt's great in this movie too.
1: Yeah. Um. He's. He, I mean, he plays more like Brad Pitt. He's. Right. He's got that kind of power, though. You know um which i think he's just fucking
0: charming it's it's difficult to sometimes i wonder if he's a good actor (laughs) or if he's just really good at being brad pitt and that's enough
1: i think it's i think it's both i think he is a good actor um but i think that he definitely you know if you've got it use it you know kind of like if he's got that body might as well shoot it (laughs) um yeah but i mean that's you know i think it movies like um you know the uh, assassination of jesse James. I think are powered by that. It's like, you need a guy who, when he walks in the room, everyone's looking at him, you know? Um, I do think that they might've, they might've been wise to tone that down a bit, you know, Um, try to make him, especially if he has this dark past and he's kind of a loser, make him seem less in control of the universe. Um, But it's undeniably just kind of enjoyable to watch him, you know, do fucking whatever.
0: Right. And just be, you know, it, it was it was kind of like a metatextual conversation when DiCaprio was telling um, the stunt coordinator. He's like, you can literally do whatever to him. You know, you can hit him with a Buick <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And it's just like you, you really legitimately think everything you've seen about this character so far. It's just like, yeah, you could probably hit him with a car and he'd probably be all right. Yeah. And you know, I probably shake it off. It would be like a, like a fucking John Wick movie. He'd be totally fine. Besides being like this caretaker slash protector, bodyguard, you know, like paid to hang around buddy for DiCaprio's character. He's really our vehicle towards and through the, the Manson family. Um, you know, he kind of has these run ins with all the hippie girls and actually is the one that goes out to the ranch. So what did you think of that as being like his his main driving force, considering that he ultimately ends up like destroying three of them at the end of the movie? <laughs>
1: I mean, I think that in some ways the best critique you could make of this movie is that, you know, aside from the artistry of it and everything, just the the overall arc of what happens, it almost seems like a movie that, like, Bill O'Reilly could write because, <laughs> you know, the ultimate thing is that this cool all-American guy just beats right. the shit out of all these hippies who actually aren't all that. You know, it's almost like uh, the, the, uh, the cinematic equivalent of, like, oh, well, if I was there on you know nine right. eleven, or if i was there when these kids shot up that
0: school i would have you know yeah it's like it's the it's the ted nugent factor yeah you know like a man who like you know defecated on himself so that he could get out of being drafted uh you know later in life said that oh if i had gone over there we would have won the war
1: yeah exactly so it is the sense of like you know brad pitt is playing the guy who everyone imagines they would be if if i was at you know the house next to sharon tate oh i would have kept her safe um so I did think that, I mean, I that's one thing that kind of holds me back on this movie is I feel like it, it really doesn't ask much of audiences um, the way that a lot of Tarantino's movies really do. Um, I I think, again, in terms of planting a, a question in your head and answering it, another thing that really great movies can do is... Um, make you desperately want something and then make you feel bad for it Um, a good case would be Pulp Fiction when you, you know, once Bruce Willis gets free you desperately want him to just leave and, you know, his choice uh, to stay is is made more heroic because it is contrasted with your own cowardice as just watching (laughs) the movie, you didn't have the guts to have him stay there but, um, you know, him being in it, he does and so I think the movie doesn't ask much for you. I think that it would have been warranted for any of the ominous foreboding that happens at that ranch to actually come to pass. It is almost a, a, a gag. Um, and I've heard people refer to this as like an anti-movie movie because nothing really comes with it. He has a slight, um, you know, standoff with that one girl. Um, and then that's the end of that. And then, uh, you know, you expect that... Uh, Bruce Dern's character is probably going to be dead, right? Yes. Um, and instead, it's just like a kind of awkward conversation with him, and then he leaves. Um, and even, you know, they they even yank your chain more when Tex is called to show up. By the time he gets there, he's gone. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that sequence, but um, on rewatch, it would probably be
0: less interesting since I know that basically nothing happens. Right. And it's interesting that you say um, <laughs> the... The Ted Nugent, Bill O'Reilly type thing. Uh, because I remember a quote that Tarantino had about his characters from *Inglorious Bastards. Where he said that, well, if, my, if the people that were in my movie had been real and were over in Europe, this is exactly how the war would have ended. Um, so it doesn't seem like a lot of a stretch of an imagination to think that if his two characters from this movie had been down the hill from Sharon Tate, that that is exactly the way that history would have gone. Um, so that kind of leads me into the next part of this podcast, but I also wanted to see if you had any other finishing thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood before we move on to Tarantino's kind of last third of his career, even though we don't know if he's actually only going to make 10 movies and stuff like that, but whatever.
1: Oh, yeah, just like there were only going to be, what, 12 Doctor Whos or whatever. Um... <laughs> right, You know, and how every congressman is only going to get in there for four years, and then I'm, you know, going to step out. You know, fuck that. If he, (laughs) he's going to make another, you know, he's going to make as many movies as he wants, or he'll do a fucking four rooms thing and just pretend it doesn't count. Um, Right. Or the
0: Star Trek movie that he wants to make, he'll be like, that doesn't count because it's a Star Trek movie.
1: Yeah, uh, or a TV. I don't know. Um, Final thoughts on it? Uh, It was just, it was enjoyable. I, I would want to see it again. Um, I do think that. Uh, it, I, I have no idea though how much of it will just bore me when I see it again or how much of it will be more enjoyable because I'll be able to enjoy it for its own sake not worrying what else will happen um, I do think it was also a bit of a pussy move for him not to include the uh, hippie uh, pussycat who Brad Pitt was close with in that final confrontation um, Yeah, but uh, I did enjoy seeing uh, Robin as the one clear conscienced uh, hippie who bolted the fuck <laughs> out of there
0: right yeah, with uh, she's had a good summer between this and Stranger Things. She's been uh, she's been doing big things. Yeah, I think a lot of the a lot of the kids, um, a lot of the hippies in this movie are like actor or director kids. Oh, so it was I could see that. I wasn't I wasn't all that jazz seeing Lena Dunham. Um, that was one of those. Um, is that really her? Like, I'm like, I know that voice. I'm familiar with that face. Is that is that really her? And I was like, yep. Actually, yes uh,
1: Luke Perry got right by me. Um, I don't. I'm, oh, yeah. Don't know
0: much about him, but um, I didn't even know he was in there. Um, it when he was outside the saloon, I was like, "Who? Who is that?" But then once he got inside and I could see him better, I'm like, "Oh, yeah, that's Luke Perry." And you know, with that, with it being, uh, you know, posthumous, it was a, it was a little, it was a little spooky. But, yeah. Um. But yeah, I I, I, I pretty. I don't. I don't not not like this movie. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. It's it's an enjoyable movie. It's a well made movie. I think that Leo's great in it, and I still don't know how I feel about it even after fifty minutes of talking about it.
1: Yeah, you're a big you're a big Tarantino fan though. Yeah, I mean ultimately are there like, any of his movies that you didn't enjoy other than I don't know if you didn't enjoy uh Django and Hateful Eight, but
0: No, I, I, I liked Django um and then I felt kind of betrayed by the ending i felt that there was a decent amount of what i consider to be like his reimagining of history commentary um i liked uh christoph waltz character in it even though he's essentially just londa all over again yeah i realized that that's yeah just he's the kind christoph of guy waltz. he's like wait is this
1: guy actually a good actor or is this just him right
0: exactly <laughs> he's just like he's he's he chews up the scene he's kind of hammy but he you just know,
1: has like, a weird speaking cadence <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, but I just like it, you know. So I think that's. Oh, that I loved him in fine. Alita. Yeah, he
1: he
0: was he was a he was a very good dad in Alita yeah. for sure. Um, and I think that Leo was great in that movie too. Um, the sequence, uh, that kind of always is one of those things where it's just like you hear about it in like movie, Pete Buff circles about you know him smashing his hand through the glass and oh, still, yeah. you know, doing the scene. But this idea that he was. Rubbing his bloody hand all over this actress while you know trying to continue the scene and like that being, like real revulsion and fear on her face outside of her ability to just act is just kind of like one of those things. Where it's like, ooh man, that's weird. I don't I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. And I you know, actually didn't even Tarantino, think it was that
1: good in that movie.
0: Oh really? No. I guess just because like, um, not in the same way because it was definitely a little more hammy. But when um, when when we talked about Tom Cruise earlier in. The movie that I just, with Jamie Foxx, I just forgot the name of. Oh, I'm Collateral? Names today. Collateral, yes. I still haven't seen uh, that,
1: despite uh, you recommending it like three yes. years ago.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, he, you know, that would be a situation where, I guess, through your definition of Tom Cruise type, he does not play against type because that character knows exactly what to do at all times, but he is a bad guy. Um, which is not normally tom cruise's mo he's usually the hero of everyone for everything and everything he's ever been in yeah um so in the same way that DiCaprio other than his is, like... best
1: role in a interview with the vampire <laughs> that's my favorite tom cruise is it yeah he's so good in that uh and and by uh way of transitioning to this movie brad pitt is fucking awful in that movie yes Yes, he which sucks. is one of
0: those things where, like, me thinking that he might not be a good actor might have a little bit of credence. Yeah, maybe he definitely Di- isn't there. DiCaprio having you know fun with being a villain uh, in Django was something that I appreciated, but there's also a weird thing about Tarantino putting himself in his own movies, but always being like incredibly racist. Yeah, that's, in his mm, own movies, which mm. which is a, str- a strange thing for me.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't care for that either. Um, I will say though that uh, wa- I I watched that IndieWire list of best performances of the decade, and okay. uh, the Leo DiCaprio scene where he takes the overdose of Quaaludes and uh, in <laughs> in Wolf of Wall Street that really holds yeah. up. That is such a great scene, and and he really deserved an
0: Oscar for that because that's such incredible <laughs> physical comedy from him. They they made him get inside a bear to get a yeah i didn't see that movie but Oscar. that seems like classic leo you know just being as intense <laughs> as possible right um which is funny because like that can be great sometimes i didn't think the revenant was great but i think it was like a lifetime achievement award for him at that yeah point. yeah basically um but do you did you ever see blood diamond no i didn't uh he's equally intense in that movie and it is hilarious to the point of being bad um <laughs> And he also was trying to do a South African accent. And yeah, I didn't it's just, know that about it. Just not good. Um, but yeah, I mean overall, Tarantino have been a, a huge fan. Like I I think um, my dad showed me and my brother, uh, Reservoir Dogs like on a family trip one time. Like, mm. uh, we found out that the hotel that we were staying in had a DVD player. So we basically just went to Walmart and got in the bargain bin. And he's just like, oh, they got Reservoir Dogs for like four bucks. You guys really need to watch this. And then I was just like, oh, man, I didn't even like some of the stuff that he was doing in that movie. I just didn't know that you could do. Like it didn't seem like a movie that like was like a real movie, you know? Yeah. Um, and basically since then, I just kind of trying to just take in everything that he's ever made. And it's like, an, you know, it's kind of an event every time he makes a movie. Um, which is interesting because like it's not that he's made just a few or not even been like part of other movies like I would think if you compare his like stat sheets against like a Scorsese or something like that um, it's not like the amount of things that have been done it's not really that different um, but I feel like Anytime Tarantino makes a movie, it's like a huge event. But, like, you know, The Irishman is coming out later this year, right? Yeah, baby. And I'm excited about that, but I don't feel like in the world there's as much buzz for that movie as there was for this one. And I was just like, is Scorsese not as good a director as Tarantino? I don't think that that's the case. But it just seems like there's a different, different part of his personality that comes out when you know that his movie is coming out. So yeah, I've always been a fan of his and he kind, it kind it's definitely has seems like distinct eras. Is that fair is that fair to say? Like, he, uh, like his first
1: Yeah, cuz there is basically I mean if you wanted to like psychoanalyze him or whatever, it's like he did his first several movies that were all uh, awesome and then I think Jackie Brown like kind of underperformed um and then his next movie you know and that was like the least tarantino of his movies and and i think that the first one and maybe at this point still the only one that he did that he didn't um that wasn't a, an original um screenplay it was you know an adaptation um and then obviously the next thing he does is like the a super tarantino um that i would i would say at that point he entered the um you know, almost a Tim Burton uh, late aughts kind of like self-parody level where he's, <laughs> he's leaning so hard on um, not just referencing tropes, but just like directly, you know, remaking uh, tropes um, with Kill Bill and uh, Death Proof. And then, yeah, I guess you point out he's doing, been doing historical uh, stuff since then. Um, I think Bastards was amazing, and then I thought the other two were shit. And actually, I agree that his movies are kind of an event, partly because he does so few of them, and because they are so like, um, you know, his own uh, you know idiosyncrasies are comes through so strong. But I mean, if this movie wasn't it, then uh, I would probably have just uh, sat out the next one, because the last two were not it. Um, So I'm back on board. So his next movie I I will watch uh, in
0: theaters if I can, just based on this one. So what do you think it is about, I mean, again, this is like asking you to psychoanalyze this guy, which, you know, feel free to go, nope, not going to do it. (laughs) But what do you think it is about, I don't know, if maybe it's just like his age or like his views on life or something like that that have changed to the point where going back and doing things that are, you know more or less historically uh important or like at least uh worthwhile as far as like a film is concerned like why is he doing that stuff now and what's the point of you you made a really good point earlier about like i guess hateful eight doesn't really fall into the same kind of category but the other three movies in his historical movie section have been about exacting some kind of historic justice on these groups of people that you know more or less history looks upon uh poorly um but it's almost like well we don't look upon them poorly enough so i'm going to take one of my you know event movies to really give it to the nazis or the slave owners or the manson family or, I guess Wild West bounty hunters I guess if you want to say B- hateful aid is about that I don't know
1: um, yeah I don't know I mean I, I do feel like as a, a unless you're super deep into it it's so hard to tell you know what these guys are reacting to they're kind of in their own bubbles you know um, and it's almost like I mean that the I guess the analogy I would use is that you know if you're trying to judge a music artist from album to album um probably the thing you're missing is that the majority of their life is actually the tour, not the album. Um And that's where they kind of work it out and come out with the new ideas and whatnot. So if I had to guess, I would say that it seems like, you know, Tarantino had a lot of criticism, but also a lot of acclaim for being violent Um in his, you know, I guess you would call it his crime. uh uh, uh What would you call it? period up through Jackie Brown? And then, um,
0: Really went all in on it with his next few films.
1: Yeah, kind of went all in on on um, Kill Bill, which itself was a revenge story. Um, and you could, you know, pin that also on Glorious Bastards, Django, and and this movie. Although these are more like revenge stories you can join in on because you probably hate the Nazis. Um, but it felt, I mean, it definitely had the feeling of you know he was he's very much a punk. Uh, Director in terms of just like You know being a a shocking sensibility Not really establishment Doing his things his own way And getting cred but not getting um, uh, Recognition for it And then you know he does what everyone does When they want recognition He made a movie about uh, World War II (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he came you know uh, As close as he probably will ever come to Legitimately earning an Oscar he, I think, right. is going to be one of those guys that might get a Lifetime Achievement Oscar, uh, kind of like uh, Scorsese did, you know. Um, again, they're all yearly, so maybe The Departed was the best movie that year. But it obviously was a movie, you know,
0: that was, we got to get Scorsese an Oscar. It's embarrassing at right. this point that we haven't given him right. one yet. Um, Which is funny because that was, you know, an adaptation as well. Like uh, the rest of, I mean, I know yeah. he's done some historical stuff as well, but ultimately the thing that got him you know, the credit was an adaptation. Yeah, of like so a thriller,
1: you know, not yeah. um, the really uh, incredibly expansive. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's his first, like, film adaptation of another movie. Um, but I, I get the sense that you know, Tarantino got kind of the bug, and it's like, oh, yeah, I could I could win an Oscar. It's like, so, you know, thus comes, you know, Django. And it's like, ooh, this is even more... Um, you know, according to the Oscar sensibilities now, you know, uh, slavery is the new world war two.
0: That was definitely an era between that and 12 years a slave. And yeah, yeah, that was the, the free state of Johnson or the one with Matthew McConaughey. I, I don't even remember, but yeah, there I was a lot know. of, um, there was a lot of, uh, what's interesting at least is that at least Django was driven by a black actor as opposed to, yeah the other movies i mean i know chiwetel was the lead in 12 years of slave but it was very much like a here are all these white men outside of michael fassbender uh, who are really not that bad of slave owners which is like a wild thing yeah that was
1: do. that was wild that uh again brad pitt that he uh, cast himself as the the well-meaning guy who solved all the problems <laughs> yeah he produced that movie um no, but uh, I I mean, I also think that that movie was almost like, you know, if Tarantino was trying to find the movie that allowed him to say the N-word the most and get away with it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, mm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's psychoanalyzing the guy. But I do think that it did feel like, to some degree, the fever broke with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And we weren't doing the living in the shadow of bastards, living in the shadow of um, Kill Bill of mm-hmm. playing to expectations He seemed like he was doing I mean I I know that I think that Hateful Eight was a movie that he seemed to Very much do for himself um, And I think that that's Always you know uh, A crapshoot sometimes it's Utterly horrible because it is Just literally just for yourself and sometimes It's like oh the purest thing because you're not Playing expectations but it seemed like he He no no he just made a good movie <laughs> So uh <laughs> I think hopefully um, he's back on, you know, his game, uh, going forward.
0: Uh, my question for you, like, as we're kind of wrapping it up a little bit here, is, um, kind of comes back to this idea that this movie is going to be enjoyed by Hollywood because it was about Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Um, and with it being kind of the most recent, uh, version of this is Walla Land, um, which, you know, everyone is Great double like, hey, feature. That, m- <laughs> that movie's about me. It's This <laughs> is my life. You know, everyone who's ever come out to uh, L.A. Uh, and, you know, is struggling as a barista trying to, you know, you know, get in pilot season and stuff like that. And, you know, we become jazz singers, and hopefully, we meet you know someone really well-to-do. And then, even if we don't become an actor, blah 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 blah. Yeah. And then that got so much buzz, but that was definitely a movie that like completely falls apart on repeat watch. Oh, does it? Um, and any yeah, and any charm that was present in the first is just like, ooh, this is annoying. This is really like, I, I why did I find this charming the first go through? That's
1: good <laughs> to know actually, because I wanted to hate that movie more than I actually hated it. Right. Which is rare for me. Trust me. If,
0: yeah, if, if you if you watch it again, I, I believe that all of your uh, your kind of <laughs> base level feelings will come to the front. You'd be Let's like, I was know. right.
1: You know, it's funny you bring up the Hollywood connection because it's possible that Tarantino still is very much on that uh, Oscar bent and he's just figuring out a better way to, to get himself right. one.
0: Right. And I mean, the, all of that's to say, like, again, uh, I you said that you like this movie. I didn't not like it. I'm definitely still kind of wrestling with my feelings about it because I think it's almost like two movies that overlap a little bit. Um, It very much was a
1: mishmash and a weird movie. I mean, definitely you can't watch. Yeah, it was long. Um, I I did my usual, you know, pee before I leave the house, pee (laughs) right before the movie starts, and then I was in the theater and I was like, this does not seem like it's wrapping up. I've had to pee for the last, you know, 40 minutes. And then I look and there's like another 45 minutes of the movie. Um, long, long film. Um, and it did feel like, I mean, for me, it was inspiring in some way because I, I struggle with writing. And um, sometimes I feel very uh, constricted by what, uh, you know, the rules of what has to happen at each minute mark in a movie. And I liked that it felt like he just was like, you know what? I just want to show Sharon Tate going to the movies and watching herself in a movie. And it's like, oh, that's cool that you can do that. As long as you, you know, make it interesting, you can just put, all, you know, what maybe should have been cut according to some, you know, sensibilities. But and, you know, when Leo is sitting there with the the little girl. It's like, I have no, you know, what what is, where's this fit in? I don't know, but it's kind of enjoyable. And I, I right. do think that that's one thing that's interesting about Tarantino. And that's one thing that Hateful Eight kind of tried, I guess. But you could make a very good argument that he does not know how to write a movie. That he he knows how to do is write scenes. And all of his movies are essentially just composites of scenes that maybe that's why, maybe that's where his editor came in. Maybe, you know, really being able to make all those scenes fit the beats that a movie should fit um, is kind of, you know, an outsized um, uh, uh, version of, of her role. But, um, you know, this movie obviously did the same thing. He had a lot of just different little things he wanted to say. At You know, thankfully, he was able to do it in a way that was, was fairly enjoyable when taken as a whole... Right.
0: Well, I think um, it's interesting that you say that in particular because I was reading through uh, basically any time a Tarantino movie comes out, I kind of like, you know, dive back through the archives and read a lot of stuff about his early movies. And, you know, there's a lot of people that like to um, reposition their takes on him, you know, as time passes. Oh, yeah. Um. That and Ebert, Roger Ebert was way out on Tarantino. Uh, early on he was good at
1: that he was he was pretty early on on a lot of what we now consider classics he didn't like predator though which is a black mark (laughs) against him
0: um but one of the things that he said about reservoir dogs is that he didn't feel that tarantino knows how to write a movie that he knows how to shoot a movie and knows how to shoot sequences but to put a movie all together uh that he wasn't sure if he was there yet and it's an interesting thing to think of him trying to make a movie like let's take take the idea that he wouldn't be able to get uh, Leo or the budget or any of the stuff just like out of the equation. The idea that he would try and make a movie like this where he's able to kind of sit in these sequences with these characters the way that they are for as long as he wants um, that he has that clout to be able to do that now. But if that had been like his first movie, that probably would have been his only movie because people would have been like, "This is some." French new wave meandering <sighs> bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and this is not for American sensibilities and no one's going to want to watch this ever. Um, and the fact that he is where he is now, he can make something like that. Um, but it is interesting because if you take that idea that he kind he's very good at making sequences and filming those sequences and then having the next thing start that's all of Inglorious Bastards. Like, that's yep. basically, it's like seven sequences total, um, and they're all arresting and brilliantly put together and incredibly tense, and then the movie ends. Yeah, and it's and just very like,
1: little in the way of actual connective tissue. Uh, right. And even, you know, what they tell you is that it's cheating to use voiceover, but he, you know, just shamelessly voices over where it, like, you know, bridges together these two amazing scenes.
0: Right. Uh, And he did the he did the voiceovers in this one, which was it's it's kind of kind of funny that that's come back around to that. The role that's usually uh, Samuel L. Jackson's role in movies, uh, not so much uh, anymore. Uh, But ultimately, I think, you know, he's he's clearly (laughs) worthwhile. I mean, it's interesting to kind of even think about criticizing him, considering all the success that he's had and how by the meanest of estimations, like 75% of his movies have been hits, like at least critical hits yeah. or, you know, just are good movies. I would say I uh, probably like a good 75% of his movies, maybe more. Yeah. How many movies? Yeah. Has he made probably now? more. Uh, he's, I, I, he's technically made nine because he counts kill bill one and two as one movie. Oh, that's um, bullshit. Yeah. But then you got to think about like natural born killers and true romance and and, you know, all that stuff. We and, just like, wrote the those, grindhouse house. Yeah, but you know, it's just like it's very clearly like has his signature in it to the point where it's just like I mean, he is referencing uh characters from True Romance in Inglorious Bastards as like the grandparents of the people that are in oh yeah True Romance. Well so, also I mean, four rooms, like, he actually did have, you know, a quarter of that. That's true. I mean Yeah, and... so how many
1: <laughs> movies is this fucker made then? Kill Bill one and I think two he's... is two movies.
0: I think he's made, like, 12, to okay, be honest. Okay, so he's pretending he's um, only ever going to make 10. Right, They're but he's already gone sequels. past that,
1: yeah. yeah, Pulp Fiction 2. Uh, if he does that, <laughs> by the way, that'll be... I mean, I I, I think that the whole... Um, you know, I mentioned him as a punk director because I have that kind right. of idea of... Um, you remember Blink-182? <laughs> I was gonna
0: say Green Day, but yeah, go ahead.
1: No, I mean Green Day did it to some degree, but I mean Blink One Eighty Two, you had this this arc that you can tell where it's like, all right, we're gonna you know make songs about you know just kind of like juvenile sensibilities, but we're gonna get really popular, but then we're gonna get old and we want recognition, so then they tried to make more serious stuff, and they like broke up the band and did that Boxcar Racer, and then they got (laughs) back together, um, and then they you know whatever whatever, but it's like you can tell it's just kind of uh, destroys itself. And that's kind of the same arc that um, Ke- Kevin Smith had where he right. had a lot of success um, early on with these, you know, kind of fart and masturbation joke movies, <laughs> right? Um, which are good movies, but uh, then got to the point that like, Oh, you know, chasing Amy or dogma, they kind of, Ooh, some serious themes in there. Uh, maybe this guy's uh, re- due for some recognition. And then just, it's like, uh, once that inception seed is in your brain, it just destroys. Cause now you can't go back to just making the stupid movies, but that's all you know how to make. That's what you're good at. And then he tried to make, uh, you know, he tried to close, I read a book about, um, I think it was just basically made of his blog posts around the time he made Jersey Girl and, uh, how excited he was to finally close the, uh, a with the uh, Jay and Silent Bob, um, and then he was so proud of moving on to Jersey Girl, and it was just fucking bombed because it sucked. And then, <laughs> you know, he tried to go back with like Clerks 2. He tried to suck, uh, siphon some of uh, the kind of um, Judd Apatow energy with uh, Zach and Miriam porno. Just, you know, constantly trying to reinvent yourself is so off, um, kind of off balance. And I think that that's how I felt like Tarantino was going for a while. Um and so he seems to be more on balance now. We'll see uh, what things mean going forward. I I hope that he had just adapts another um was that guy L- L- Leo Elmore or
0: Elmo Leonard, the guy who wrote the Jackie <laughs> Brown uh punch. I- I, I, because you said those two names, now I think that those are those are the his both his names. He has four names. Um, <laughs> I know who you're talking about, but I can't remember it now. Yeah, um,
1: rum punch, like you know, just uh, right, that guy would adapt another one of his things, or just something else. You know, I think it'd be a good just.
0: Yeah. You know. I, that, that's an interesting I point to make about Kevin Smith too, considering that they are both like the the Miramax babies, you it's know. True, yeah. Um. So and just seeing how different, because what uh, Kevin Smith's daughter was one of the Manson kids. Oh,
1: fuck, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of I it's, heard. it's just I don't know wild, who the fuck wild she how those is, but... kind
0: of, you know, just like they they interweave themselves and everything. Like fucking Val Kilmer is gonna be in the uh, Jay and Silent Bob Three movie. I mean, it's just. Ugh. Again, like like you were saying, it's just like what the hell is he even doing at this point? I think his last movie before this one was Red State. Did you ever see that? I didn't, but I heard that was another case of him kind of reinventing himself. But I heard that right. he was well received. It it was I thought it was pretty good, but it was just one of those things where it's just like I can't I have a hard time believing that this is Kevin Smith. But like you know, yeah. it was it was a I thought it was a, a good turn and it was just like if this is what he's gonna do now, great. But then he did like um a movie with his daughter and another young actress about them being like essentially clerks, but like in Canada or something. And it Ugh. was just like, okay. Oh, I think so I he heard really about has.
1: that. Oh, well, he also did that movie. Um, I mean, it was almost like he was just seeing like throwing anything at the wall to see what works. Cause he'd also did a cop out, which was like the first movie he directed without writing it. Right. which seemed yeah. like a bad idea because your whole thing is that
0: people like your dialogue generally. Right. Right. He also put himself in that movie. Mm. um which is which was not a good look, and apparently uh <laughs> disallowed him from being able to enjoy Bruce Willis or any of his movies anymore because he hated working with him so much
1: yeah that I did have some sympathy for just how much of a prick Bruce willis was, but uh <laughs> not that much it, that did but, give mean, us uh a it did
0: give us one of the the best gifts of all time of Tracy Morgan saying no in a car. Um, yeah. So, that, so it that, lives that's pretty it, good. in the new in the new age. I mean, it's actually a success by that standard. <laughs> that's right. If you have it depend the gifts per minute um is is a, a a measure of if a movie is good or not anymore. Yeah.
1: Now I'm trying to think of what gifts would be good out
0: of this movie. Um we're definitely going to have the Leo dancing with the like on the bandstand type thing. That's yeah. going to be very gifable. Um him holding the gun and crying after the little girl tells him that he did a really good job. Um, that is the best acting she'd ever seen. That's going to be up there. Um, I think as soon as this, you know, comes out on digital or whatever, that we're going to get a lot of gifts of the final uh, gory scene with like probably, uh, yeah. probably the girl getting hit with the can or the dog attacking the guy on the crotch or something like that. But yeah. there's, there's, there's some good, smashes. there's some potential there. Yeah,
1: I mean, you got to hand it to to good old Quentin. Um, I mean, the the violence is not, you know, I remember everyone made such a big deal about the violence in Drive, and I actually didn't find it that shocking at all. Um, no, but uh, this, I mean, it 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 it's it's funny. It like makes you laugh with how incredibly uh, strong it hits. Yes. So I could see people not liking it for it being too uh, too violent, but. Uh, Right. Scratching right where I itch.
0: Well, it's, it's just weird because at, at that point I was like, you know, the alternative is these people murdering. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Are, you know, are historically uh, evil people. So it's like, well, I don't want that to happen. And then at the same time, it's like it's so particularly with Brad Pitt being inebriated. Um, it's just so out of left field that just kind of like it's difficult to not laugh. Like you know this is serious stuff and it's incredibly visceral, but it's just like it is kind of funny, particularly when you know Brad Pitt is basically like uh, having a <laughs> a zone out party with the guy that's pointing a gun at him. Yeah, and then the other girl is screaming her head off for the entire. <laughs> situation and runs into the pool while leo's doing lines (laughs) yeah and like he gets spooked and everything it's just like it's difficult to not find funny particularly like this when he looks at his hip he's got the knife in there and he's like holy shit there's a knife in me you know it's it's, It's kind of real yeah it's 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 just incredibly comical and the the ending with him talking to sharon through the little you know gate intercom and everything it's just it's it's definitely an ending and I think that it's funny and it's one of those things where I don't feel like it should be, which makes it even more funny. And I guess that's kind of Tarantino in like a nutshell. It's just like, he just, he he knows how to do what it is that he wants to do. And you know, I guess it's up to you whether you like it or not. I don't think I can, I don't think I can really put a bow on the podcast any better than that. My friend, no, I, I'm, I'm leaving it there. I, I'm not going to even okay. try. <laughs> All right. Um, do you have anything to plug before we say goodbye to everyone? Uh, no, I've been out of the game long enough that, um, that I'm... I'm... I feel like you've been on Twitter a lot more recently, my friend. I am on
1: Twitter, but, uh, you know, I don't care if people follow me or not on Twitter. (laughs) I'm not doing anything funny on there. I'm trying also not to be honest, so I don't want to be thinking too much about it.
0: All right, well then, we won't, uh, we won't plug your, your handle then. Um, you can find this on iTunes. Have you heard about that? We're on iTunes, man. You are? Do you have all the, all the five-star reviews? Uh, I think that we only have five star reviews but I think we have two so I don't know if that really counts but I, I mean, that's, a couple more that's still a pretty good average you know it's better than having a 2.5 star rating after two reviews yeah um, but yeah geekstrom all over all the social media platforms and everything I'm Frank Sor, Frank XOR uh, I don't know Jared am I am I worthy of a follow on Twitter oh absolutely actually I, I, I...
1: I've got a beef with Twitter because I feel like I just don't see tweets a lot of people who I definitely follow and definitely are right. tweeting, so I don't know what the fuck the algorithms are doing, but uh, absolutely just, worth a follow, I'm
0: just, though. I'm just going to have to uh, append all of my tweets uh, CC just aside. Yeah, there you so go. That, I'll retweet you know. them. <laughs> Alright. Uh, well, thanks for talking to me and thanks to everybody for listening. See ya. Uh, bye.